You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I think the, I think the wider investing public isn't investing in this sector yet, and that's why it's such a fantastic opportunity right now. So, so you still have just a very, very small percentage of the total investor universe out there paying attention to this sector. At some point, the, the game of chasing momentum stocks higher is going to wear out, and the stock market is going to head south again. And when that money comes out, it's going to be looking for the next hot play, and that's going to be our sector, the precious metal sector. Welcome back. This is Mining Stock Education, and I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to engage the show or any topics I cover, feel free to email me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. And I do appreciate many of the recommended guests uh, in some of the emails that I've been getting. So I've been looking into some of those recommendations. Thank you very much. Well, today we're going to be hearing from a returning and very popular guest of this show, that being Dave Kranzler of investmentresearchdynamics.com. If you don't know already, Dave is the co-producer of the Mining Stock Daily Podcast, as well as the editor and producer for the Mining Stock Journal. And you can find more about the Mining Stock Journal at investmentresearchdynamics.com. And I do recommend the Mining Stock Journal as one of the mining stock newsletters if you're looking for quality commentary on the macroeconomic situation and specifically the junior gold sector. That's an excellent resource. And you get Dave's thoughts before Dave shares his thoughts to the greater public via YouTube interviews or podcast interviews like you're hearing now. Uh, With that being said, Dave, welcome back to the show. I always appreciate your insights. And as we have just experienced this oil massacre when you look at that, what does this mean for the economy, gold and gold stocks? First off, Bill, thanks for having me back on again. And, and thanks for that kind intro, <laughs> deservedly or undeservedly. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. So um, with, the, with the situation with oil, I, I remember reading several months ago, some analysts, and I don't remember who it was, who had suggested that, you know, with the supply of oil building and, and storage running out, there's a possibility that we could see oil go negative because at a certain point, you run out of storage space to take delivery if you're long oil futures. And if you're long oil futures and you've got a delivery that you have to deal with, you're going to, you need to pay someone to, you know, take the oil off your hands if they have storage space. So that's, that's sort of the technical dynamic that that would cause oil to go negative, right? Because you got the cost of storage, you've got oil you can't store anywhere, so you have to pay someone to take it. You know, presumably whoever takes it gets paid to take it. It has some some form of storage. So, and that's you know simplistic explanation, but I, I think uh, the more economic. You know, supply demand explanation is that, and I, you know, again, I, I can't speak to whether or not, you know, the various oil producing countries of the world have been ramping up their, their production over the last three to six months. You know, presumably Russia and Saudi Arabia got into a, a, a price war, price and supply war. Um, but at any rate, I, you know, for me, it's clearly a function of the bottom falling out of the demand for oil. I mean, just think about for yourself. I mean, how much less have you been driving 
since we've been in the on the shelter and home thing. Yeah. One one so, tank every two months rather than two tanks every week. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think I've I think I've filled my tank up maybe once since this whole thing started. Mm-hmm. So and you know, we're talking about it's not just in the United States, although the United States I guess after China is the second largest consumer of oil. Maybe we're still the largest. I don't know. We're first or second. China's first or second. So when you have what's happened to the economies happen, you know, the demand for oil, just like I said, the bottom falls out. And I think that the the, the collapse in the price of oil is reflective of the true state of what's going on in the global economy and specifically the economy here versus you know, the pie in the sky projections that we're seeing come out of Wall Street. Uh, you know, I've noticed for the last couple of weeks, both Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan keep revising lower their estimates for second quarter GDP and and second quarter corporate earnings. And now JP Morgan is out saying, you know, there's going to be a bloodbath in S&P 500 earnings and they're not going to recover until 2023. Well, who knows? You know, that's everyone's just, you know, sticking, licking their finger and sticking it in the breeze. But, you know, for me, the fact of the matter is what's happening in oil reflects the fact that the, the economies are, are far weaker than than, you know, we can know until we start to see honest numbers that measure what's going on in the economy. And then gold. Some have said that low oil prices plus a strong gold price equals buy gold stocks. I assume you would agree with that. Well, I think I think the gold stocks were were undervalued before um, what happened to the price of oil happened, but certainly certainly for producers, you know, 50% of the cost of production as you know, Bill, mm-hmm. is the is the cost of energy. And so, you know, if you've had, you know, oil go from 50-60 bucks a barrel down to 20 bucks a barrel, you know, you're, you're the, the these large mining companies, the producing mining companies. That that's, you know, that that basically is going to be about a 25 percent reduction in their cost structure, right? Their 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 cash cost structure, their cost of production. So, um, you know, the combination of a much higher gold price, as well as you know, all of these large producers had to streamline their their cost structure when you know between 2000. 12 and, and 2016 when when basically there was a four-year bear market in the price of gold so you've got essentially large producers who are and I you know for lack of a better term I'll say they're they're lean and mean right now from a cost standpoint and they're the the cost of their biggest input just dropped 50 60 percent so um, you know I have a feeling when we start to see second quarter and third quarter earnings assuming you know these mines, you know, a lot of these mines get to ramp up into production in the next couple of weeks. And I know there's plans for several of them, too. And a lot of mines haven't were never shut down. There's areas there's areas in, you know, in North America where, mine, you know, mines haven't had to stop or they, you know, shut down for two weeks and they've, they've been ramping up. So um, let's just say third quarter earnings, I think, are going to be just, you know, blockbuster, like exceed anyone's expectations. So, you know, just on on a PE basis, these large cap miners are are still very undervalued. It actually does filter down into the valuation of the juniors because a lot of these juniors have have deposits where, you know, they've got gold in the ground that's that's going up in value as the price of gold goes higher. And, you know, a lot of these a lot of these juniors are, are near large mining 
large mines, you know, large mining companies that are operating large mines, like, in, you know, just Canada and Nevada, for instance. And a lot of these projects, mining, you know, a large mining company can just go in and buy the project and move the ore to its mill and process it. So to that, you know, that dynamic also increases the value of junior ex explorers that have proved deposits. Right. And one of the ones that you've talked about on this show, uh, Precipitate, didn't they just uh, do a deal with Barrick? They did. And we can we can get to that a little bit later. Okay. Uh, regarding silver producers, both or and silver juniors, I should say, uh, both of us like the silver juniors. But since we haven't spoken in a while after that, that mid-March crash where silver went under $12, I think down to like 1162 or something like that. And then a lot of those silver stocks sold off and then they roared back. And what was your take when silver was under $12? A lot of these mines, the production was being shut down in Peru and in Mexico, yet the silver miners continue to climb higher and higher. Do you think that this is just forward-looking speculators jumping into these, trying to position themselves? Again, it's, you know, it, get, it gets back to even at, even at 12 or $13 silver, a lot, of these, a lot of these silver companies, silver miners were undervalued. But just to address this concept that silver fell well, I'll just go the front month contract briefly dipped below 12. So and that that was that big sell off that we had in March where essentially hedge funds were dumping everything in order to avoid margin calls. Well, what drives me crazy about that is, you know, that sell off, it was it was, you know, referred to as, you know, investors selling gold and silver. Well, no, they weren't selling physical gold and silver bars. They were selling paper silver. And that sell-off was was purely a function of a, a sell-off in the paper gold and silver market. Very little, if any, physical gold changed hands down at those levels, and that's why that's why, you know, away from the the money printing that the Fed's doing, that's that's why. Um, well, at least the price of well, even the price of silver has bounced back pretty quickly, but especially gold. So. Um, and I think I think the market, you know, the smart investors understood that. And I think you're seeing smart money uh, accumulating juniors and, and producers even now. You know, you still have the, the, the hot money, the fast money, the general stock mutual funds. They're still chasing, you know, the stocks that were the bubble stocks, hoping for, you know, hoping to catch a ride of momentum higher. Well, in the meantime, you've got, you know, if you especially if you look at the volumes and, and you talk to you know, talk to company executives. There's very smart money that's that's buying that's buy, especially the juniors that are just scooping up the juniors. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Orn Resources is a junior exploration company with the appetite of a major, focused on finding the next globally significant discovery to create enormous potential upside for shareholders. It's one of the most aggressive exploration companies pursuing high-grade, scalable gold and copper deposits and has a premier seven-project portfolio including its two flagships, Committee Bay in the Arctic and Sombrero in Peru. With Orin's unparalleled technical team and highly experienced management with a history of success in advancing and monetizing exploration assets, Orin has been called one of the best in the junior exploration sector. Orin trades on the TSX and NYSC under the ticker AUG. To learn more, go to orinresources.com. That's A-U-R-Y-N resources.com. With GDX now breaking through that seven-year resistance at 32, as we speak, it's above 34. Is this, you know, many have talked about this being a confirmation. Uh, is there any significance 
for you to this or because you've had you you knew the juniors were and the gold stocks were climbing higher eventually it's not as significant to you well i mean it's it's significant to the technicians i mean even you know again if you and i'm just talking off the top of my head on these numbers but let's just say the last time around and i could look at the charts and you know i won't take the time to do that here but you know, let's just say the last time that gold was trading around 1750, um, the the Huey and the GDX were trading at much higher levels. So, you know, the the mining stocks have a long way to go to catch up with with you know their intrinsic valuation relative to the price of gold and silver. And you know, at that point, we're not even introducing into the conversation the degree of of currency devaluation that that's going on right now which is which is going to drive gold silver and these miners to the moon when you look at this covid-19 crisis obviously we've talked a little about what it's done to the economy when you gave your comments on oil but for junior gold speculators in particular are there any risks out there for us now as a result of what this virus and the reaction from governments has been that's a really that's a good question and I think it's 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 kind of a complex answer because a lot of it depends on on where the junior mining company has its projects what comp, what country etc like mm-hmm. some of these countries have been a lot more strict about their lockdown than the US has um, in fact I think I think even in Nevada I don't I don't know that exploration was strictly prohibited so um, no, it's uh, you know, a critical of, infrastructure or crit- essential business in Nevada and Idaho. I know. Yeah. So, and a lot of the a lot of the juniors kind of shut down their operations anyway because um, you, you still have to do the social distancing precautions and all that stuff. And you know, to the extent that really the the, the prime drill season in North America, well, uh, well, even in Mexico is is you know spring summer and fall so a lot of these juniors can conduct their you know their mapping and their planning and their drill plans you know through through the you know virtual you know on a virtual basis so you know the geologists can all hang out in their house and share share data and and you know a lot of these companies were still planning their next drill program anyway so um i i guess where where you want to be a little bit concerned is if you own a junior stock that doesn't have a lot of cash and might be reliant on a financing. But I'll tell you what, I haven't through this whole thing, junior mining companies have been executing stock financings. And again, I think it gets back to this idea that savvy retail investors who are familiar with the sector and smart money understand what's, what's going on. And they know that, that this is a great time to jump into these stocks. I mean, You've seen it. Um, Arcana got a. They raised what two over two million dollars mm-hmm. last week. So yeah. yeah. So you know, even companies that have speculative projects are able to raise money right now. And to me, that's that's extremely bullish. Back to precipitate, Dave. If I could get your commentary here. Um, sure. 
you know, what's your updated commentary? And then also, could you address this potential trend we're seeing where these major miners, whoever's making the de- the decision with them, they're, you know, doing these joint ventures with these exploration companies close to some of their projects. So should, uh, you know, exploration company speculators, should we be paying attention if, if the, one of the big dogs is nearby, perhaps that'd be a better exploration speculation? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, precipitate was able to okay so yeah so they were able to scoop up a property in the Dominican Republic from a from a from a distressed situation and the property happens to be adjacent to Barracks Pueblo Viejo gold mine it's it was originally a Barrack Gold Corp joint venture now it's Barrack Newmont Barracks the operating partner it's it's one of the the largest operating gold mines in the world and um Apparently, what the story is, is is that the the parties that owned this, the land that precipitate Bop, Pueblo Grande is what it's called. Um, they, I guess they kind of got into a uh, a fight with Barrick. I guess Barrick was trying to buy the land from them lowball. So they wouldn't, you know, ultimately they wouldn't negotiate with Barrick. So it opened up the opportunity for precipitate to go in there and, and, and buy the property and precipitate. Geologists think that um, there's a possibility that the mineralization that mineralized the Pueblo Viejo property may also have mineralized the Pueblo Grande par- uh, property. And um, so essentially, I, you know, Precipitate hasn't even drilled any holes. They've done, you know, soil sampling and all the, 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 preliminary exploration stuff to kind of get ready and plan their drill targets. And they were going to start drilling, I think, in February before this coronavirus thing started or maybe March. And 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 as it I think it was February, but apparently what was going on was they were in negotiations with Barrick for the joint ventures. So, um, I mean, Barrick is obviously familiar with the property. They know what the potential is. And um, so Barrick uh, negotiated a deal where where they have the ability to um, earn up to seventy percent interest in the project as as the operator, and they have to spend ten million dollars over the next six years. And then they also invested a million dollars into these are Canadian dollar numbers, a million dollars into uh, precipitate itself. So. Initially, the stock jumped about, man, I, twenty or thirty percent, and then it fell back to where it was before the deal um, was announced. And I, I honestly think that the market doesn't necessarily understand the deal. I mean, I, I chatted with the CEO after the deal, and um, I mean, let's just say this thing plays out, and Barrick eventually earns in at seventy percent. You know, if 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 it turns out that let's say there's a million ounces of gold equivalent on this property, you know, uh, precipitates 30% share of that is, is, you know, in, in this market is probably worth, you know, 50, $60 million. I'm just, I'm just saying, okay, a hundred, a million ounce deposit on a property where it's very mineable. And it's a situation where I believe Barrick would be able to take the ore and process it through the Pueblo Viejo mill. Yeah. Low capex there. And so exactly. That'd be, so that'd be like six to eight fold gain then from here, from these levels, right? 
Right. And I'm just, you know, saying, okay, this gold in the ground is worth 150 bucks an ounce. And it, you know, by the time that event unfolds, it could be worth a lot more. I mean, there were some deals in the, in the 2010, 2011 time period, you know, when gold last ran up to 1900, there was a, a couple deals that got done that valued the gold in the ground at a thousand bucks an ounce. And I don't, I don't know that we're going to necessarily see that unless gold really moves into the two thousands, which it probably will. But so just conservatively, I, you know, assuming this project plays out, you know, it's, it's worth $50 million. Well, well to precipitate, well, precipitates market cap right now is, is, is roughly, you know, it's, it's under $10 million. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a head scratcher. And they also have another highly prospective project in the Dominican Republic that they can turn their attention to. And they have the cash now to start drilling it. So, uh, you know, and again, the, the project might not work out, but, um, you know, and Barrick may abandon it. And but, you know, your downside is almost nothing compared to your potential upside. Dave, uh, Bank of America, as you know, raised their gold forecast to $3,000. I know you don't need Bank of America to, to, <laughs> to give you that forecast, but do you think for the psyche of the, the wider investing public, do you think there's any significance to that? I think, the, I think the wider investing public isn't investing in this sector yet, and that's why it's such a fantastic opportunity right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, the investors like your audience, you know, they've been following this sector for a long time, and some of them may have only been following it for a year or two but they you know at at this point in time they understand you know kind of the market dynamics so and it's it's so you still have just a very very small percentage of the total investor universe out there paying attention to this sector um at some point at some point the the game of chasing momentum stocks higher is going to wear out and the stock market is going to head south again and when that money comes out, it's going to be looking for the next hot play, and that's going to be our sector, the precious metal sector. And getting back to the GDX breaking through that 32 barrier, I think a lot of people from the technical standpoint are saying that that's going to attract a lot of the people that pay attention to technicals and also those momentum traders. I agree with that. However, back in 2011, GDX was at 65. So for me, you know, yeah, breaking through a technical barrier might attract the the technical momentum money, but that's that's a short term trade for those guys. Uh, where I think it's it's going to get interesting is when the longer term investors and we saw this in in 2010 2011, general you know just general mutual funds like you know a, a general stock market fund at Fidelity would would start buying mining stocks. And those that's that's the more stable investor base and, and the longer the longer term money. And that's that's ultimately when that money comes in and it hasn't even begun yet. Like I said, we're still in the smart money accumulation stage. At some point, the mutual funds and the hedge funds that aren't momentum, you know, that are basically fundamental based investing hedge funds, they're gonna start moving capital into this sector, and that's when when the real fireworks will start. But you're right, breaking through that technical barrier, I'm just looking at a 10-year chart of, of the GDX, breaking through that technical barrier is is certainly a, a milestone for the sector. And, and, you know, your audience, your listeners can pull up, you know, a 10-year chart of GDX. You can see that there's not a lot of overhead resistance in, until we get into, you know, the low 40s on GDX. So, you know, I, I, think, it's, I think, you know, we're going to grind higher, steadily. And I think, 
you know, by the end of the summer, people are going to look back and if they didn't invest in the sector now, they're going to they're going to feel like they're chasing it and regret not putting money to work right now. Before you leave, Dave, uh, any other juniors that you could share with us? I know uh, listeners like when you share some of your investing ideas, which, again, you first revealed to your subscribers of the Mining Stock Journal. Sure. And, you know, uh, the, the ideas that I consider my, my top ideas, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not I, I started kind of two new things in the last several issues. And one is because I kind of felt like a lot of investors don't want to just focus on juniors. So I started putting ideas on, on some of my large, you know, my favorite larger cap producing stocks. And there's not that many, because in my opinion, companies like Barrick and Newmont are not well managed. They're big corporate bureaucratic structures. And those stocks are doing well right now because to the extent that large funds are putting some money to work in the sector, they put it into Barrick and Newmont because they're the largest market caps and they're the most liquid and it's easier to move in and out of big positions in those stocks. But there's there's a whole handful of, of you know smaller large cap producers that are still undervalued now. And so I've been I've been putting a list of, you know, my three or four favorite larger cap producers um, and that and also I include um, ideas with for using in the money call options because, you know, some of these stocks take Kirkland Lake. I mean, it's a forty dollar stock. So, you know, are you going to buy a thousand shares of Kirkland Lake or would you rather buy 20 in the deep in the money call options for for, say, you know, half that cost and and get the leverage of of owning 2000 shares and these deep in the money um call options if you don't go too far out on the expiration curve have very little time premium in them because they're deep in the money so they basically track the stock almost on a 100% tracking basis right so if you think that the that the sector's going higher you can get a much better bang for your buck by buying deep in the money call options on stocks like Kirkland Lake or um, Agnico Eagle. And there's there's a handful of others that I um, have been putting in my in my newsletter lately. They're not as risky as the out of the money calls, of course. No, they, they're basically are going to track the stock. Yep. So you, the idea here is that you're you're getting the leverage of more shares without putting up that amount of capital. See what I'm saying? And I've also I've started kind of with each issue, I, I kind of update my list, you know, my top picks and I have the, the you know, I preface it with, you know, this is for, for junior explorers. This this is, you know, and I, I put it into categories of, you know, less risky down to pure speculation, which is where precipitate has been um, in the pure speculation area. And I just say, you know, this this is what I, I like right now. I like all the stocks that I cover in my newsletter or I wouldn't cover them. And and this is my, you know, my my list right now, but this list could look very different in the next 6 months depending on, you know, how the events unfold at each of the companies I cover and and, and the news flow and things like that. So, um, you know, as an example, there's one stock, it's Paramount Gold, and I don't I don't know if your audience is familiar with it, but they've got a it's essentially about a 4 million ounce gold deposit in in uh, Oregon, south southwest Oregon, or maybe it's south central, roughly, and the market was kind of leery of this one because they weren't sure. You know, Oregon is associated with you know tree huggers and tough environmental rules. Well, this this mine or this project's in an area where 
um, the economy wants the jobs. And the company's been working very closely with the environmental regulators, and, and they've actually had less. So they're at the point now where they're just about ready to, as soon as they get the various you know, environmental approvals and things like that, um, you know, their project's almost shovel ready. And it was essentially trading at a market cap of under $10 million, which I, I, I thought was insane. Now, the stock since March 23rd has, has nearly doubled. And I think that's because the market's finally waking up to the reality of it. But, you know, this is this is what I said about precipitate and uh, not precipitate uh, Paramount in my April 2nd newsletter when the stock was at 59. It's trading at 105 right now. I said uh, it's an absolute joke that the stock is trading at a $17 million market cap given the quality of the deposit and the likelihood that the company will either successfully advance the project to a mine or be acquired. So, I mean, you got a, a 4 million ounce project. And granted, a lot of that is 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 inferred, but, um, and I forget what the exact number is on uh, measured, indicated, et cetera. It's, it's, it's over a million ounces, well over, and it's, it's, it's high grade. And is there an Oregon discount there? You know, we know Idaho and Nevada are good. When I hear Oregon, I think a more liberal government. Well, that's the whole thing is is the government's actually been like really cooperating with them because they, they want the job. They're, they, there's a you know, they're, they're trying to promote mining projects that are not along the coast because that's that's where your that's where your tree huggers are or along the coast. But Oregon needs the jobs, especially, you know, the, the central and, and eastern part of the state. And southern part of the state, so um, you know you don't have the the high tech <laughs> millennial economy of Portland or or Eugene, you know the college economy of Eugene down there. So um, I think part of the issue with it is it's got a very small stock float. It's only got like thirty million shares outstanding, which is perfect for a stock like this because um, you know even even at a dollar. You're looking at a $30 million market cap, and this is a project that is, you know, potentially worth $100, $200 million. I mean, tell me where the price of gold is, and, you know, I can tell you, you know, like on a horseshoes and hand grenades basis, approximately what this project should be worth given that price of gold. So, um, you know, it's, it's an example of, and it's why I, I tend to follow the juniors, um, is because the market tends to be very inefficient with how it values them and how it looks at them. And a lot of companies kind of fall off the radar screen. And this was one of them. Um, but uh, we own it in my fund. And, and I know a lot of my subscribers were loading up on it when the, when the stock was trading at 50, 60 cents instead of a dollar. And this is an example, too, of one of those stocks that's going to move in one of these, you know, the royalty company moves, the majors move, the mid-tiers move. And then down the road, as, as this bull progresses, a stock like that is going to begin to move. That's right. It's, speaking of like you know the royalty concept, there's another company called GR Silver, and they've got a they're, they're, they've got a project in what's known as the Rosario Mining District. It's in kind of northwestern Mexico, and Fresnillo operates in that area. And these guys pretty much control most of the district. They just did a deal with First Majestic where they took over a, a first majestic property and there's been historic mining and uh, you know a very very high grade silver on in this district over the over the year you know historically so 
Um, and these guys have uh, been producing some phenomenal drill results. And again, you know, this this is a stock that, you know, let's just say the market cap is is roughly $17, $18 million. And if they continue to produce the type of drill results that they have, they already have an existing resource on the property. Um, it's under a million ounces, but you know, if they can, if they can prove up, you know, district wide on their properties, you know, I don't know, just call it two or 3 million ounces of gold equivalent. Um, so, cause the, the, the resources is, is a, it's silver, it's gold and it's polymetallic. I mean, you're talking about the potential here for this this property to be worth a couple hundred million dollars. Now, First Majestic owns just under 20% of the company, and Sandstorm uh, did a deal with them. And it, Sandstorm, I think, owns 4 or 5% of it. So the guy who runs it, Mario Fonseca, was at Silvercrest Mines when First Majestic took over Silvercrest Mines, which included the spinoff of silver, what turned into Silvercrest Metals, and now he's, I think he's kind of following the same model that they used at Silvercrest Mines. I, I really, I truly think that what he's doing here is he's going to, you know, put together a shovel-ready project, and you know, it'll be swallowed by either Fresneo or First Majestic. That's what I think the end game is here. Well, Dave, thank you for sharing those insights. And to get more insights from Dave to your email inbox, I believe twice a month, go to investmentresearchdynamics.com. Dave also posts numerous blogs per week if you want to get Dave's written form thoughts uh, or be a subscriber to the Mining Stock Journal. Dave, as always, thanks for coming on today's show. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.